Welcome to episode 2 of Mike and Enzo's Culture Cast, where we discuss how to disappoint people without devastating them. Why Enzo no longer has an American accent. What to bring for dinner in Ghana. And our disappointment that the year 2072 does not feel very futuristic. second episode we're actually going to try to plan to do these on a weekly basis if we're able to stick with it right as long as it doesn't rain as long rain rain yeah. will impede us from well recording. you know you don't want they don't want to have the rainy background right so, huh? well that's true we also have uh, we've sent your son off to my house as well to get mm. us a better sound recording so that helps as long as that can happen then we can continue recording well, the, on the on the bad side we can't blame anything bad to him this time so oh. that's problematic we did try out some different recording techniques uh prior to this recording and you may notice that they did no good whatsoever none uh, that's all right when we start to make millions of dollars off of this podcast we'll get some better equipment uh until then you're just gonna have to deal with it well we should start a kickstarter yeah, yeah. do kids still do that is kickstarter cool i don't know haven't man. they moved on i'm so old i There's feel this like thing... everything changes so quickly what was it called back in the olden days when you had uh, uh... a ponzi scheme no 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 a patron when you had a patron, yes, there's yes. this this thing that's like a patron thing where you it's yeah Patreon or something yeah like yes. Patreon or something yeah. maybe we could get patrons yeah probably. Can, all of you people out there right now that are thinking that sounds like a good idea write to us and let us know yes definitely do that so, or just send us money I mean it's fine so speaking of writing to us we have several comments first to clear up from our last. Uh, podcast where there were um, some corrections perhaps or actually really more of a controversy than anything so just to point out I started off the last podcast talking very uh, defensively and emotionally about a paper that I got a poor grade on in graduate (laughs) school because I love culture so much and my professor apparently didn't Um, and I, I kind of threw my professor under the bus and I had several people comment on our podcast about your professor being an idiot is one and the other says, ha, I left my PhD program after a strikingly similar falling out with my professor. And then we had one person on Facebook who uh, pointed out that in the recording, let me just read this. I especially liked when Enzo totally did not have your back on the ridiculous grade you received on your paper. Maybe arbitrary grading is the norm in Uruguay? There's your cultural contrast right there. (laughs) Slam! Well, I I mean, she does have a point. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, arbitrary grading is probably the norm everywhere. I mean, I really... Can, you know, well, in the social I don't sciences, believe, right? Yeah. When yeah, you're yeah. in this soft, fluffy kind of education. Yeah, that's that's just the norm, really. I mean, I cannot I, I cannot say that I will go to a professor and I'll know that we'll have a, a 100% objective grade. I Which is why you should always be attractive. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that the solution yeah, to this? Yeah, yeah. The no. better looking you are, the better graded you'll is be. Is that why I get so many good grades? Probably. <laughs> that must be. Oh, thanks. Man, but now I feel bad. <laughs> but tell me, Enzo. Yeah. 
I, I issued a challenge after reading this comment. Enzo replied to say, working here uh, at a university, having worked previously in England at a university, he's very diplomatic and careful to stay out of making any judgments about what another person had graded. And I said, well, then you better read it so you can have a judgment. So I sent it to you, Enzo. Did yes, you, did you, you did, read you it? Did. I did read it, actually, yes. I mean, I think the first thing that jumped out of my mind is that... Don't even say it. I'm going to say it. He's actually referencing Encarta in his paper. So, you know, you could probably extrapolate how old Mike is with that. He actually references Encarta on his paper. Do they even make Encarta anymore? Do you know? Uh, to be honest, I hadn't read this paper <laughs> in a long time. And when I first saw that reference, I also thought, what in the hell? <laughs> I have forgotten Encarta existed. I have no idea. I it, it seems like uh, that's a crazy thing to have done in graduate school, to be referencing an encyclopedia. I, I, it might have been a joke on my part. You did notice I started out the paper with a, a Bob Dylan quote. Yes, you did. You I did, do you remember did. that was actually a joke. Yeah. So I'm wondering if the second thing was also meant to be a joke, and maybe that's why my I, could be. I I, this know. this paper sounding worse and worse as we discuss it. Continue. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the 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 the, the tip we 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 have nowadays is that if you're, the, I think the equivalent of Encarta today is Wikipedia, right? Yeah, you wait, can but no, wait, no, but what? What? Not that bad. Well, I'm not talking about the, the quality the of the source. I'm not talking about the quality of the source. I'm talking about the, the replacement that students have found for a source of all-encompassing knowledge. I mean, yes. I remember very clearly when I was in secondary school, we were specifically told not to copy-paste from Encarta because that's what lots of people were doing. I will have you he, know. He did I not copy-paste. I will say that. He did not copy-paste. He just referenced it. I was the distinguished graduate from my program as an undergraduate, and I cannot imagine that I left undergraduate thinking it was okay to quote the encyclopedia in an <laughs> academic paper. So honestly, I don't know where that came from. But let's Maybe say, he just didn't care but, too much. But let's recall, did. my professor did not take issue with that as a source. Yeah, And yeah. there were a lot of other really good sources. In so it. what was... What, okay, can you remind us... What what was exactly what your professor said? All right, let me actually... It, I remembered a bit more of the story when this became an issue on the comments pages. I actually was waiting around for this paper. This was It was only a five- or six-page paper. It wasn't, it wasn't large, but it was our first kind of decent writing attempt in graduate school. And I was about uh, three or four weeks into the semester, very new to a PhD program, very sensitive, and I was waiting around for it to show up in my box. Mm. And I was there early in the morning. It might even have been a weekend. And I was, you know, waiting around uh, my mailbox, and the professor himself showed up to deliver it. Now, oh. this is a weekend, and honestly, this guy was there on the weekends, right? He's a hardworking guy. And he showed up, and he says to me, oh, I've got your paper right here. It was terrible. He uh, says this to my face. I'm remembering this yeah, now. This was uh, not written on the paper. He said, it was terrible. You can't make this kind of an argument. You're too new to the discipline. That's what he told me. Hmm. Well, I think, uh, I think we need to separate two things here. Okay, one is what the actual content of the paper, and the other one is the delivery of the feedback. All right, just, just to remind any new listeners, what I was arguing in the paper was yes, important that uh, political science ignores culture too much, and that it tries so hard to be a hard science and be verifiable that it ignores things like culture, which are too soft and hard to quantify. Mm, that right. was my argument. That was his argument, and I think I think he he made a reasonable attempt at arguing it, and I think I think it was you, you were very ambitious in your paper. I mean, this was a very short paper, and to to have something that you know you're you're actually literally arguing against the discipline, right? <laughs> you're not arguing against the point someone made. You're not uh, arguing about you're arguing about the, yes. the, the whole soul of your discipline, Indeed. which tells me you are not super happy with. And the that discipline was like that was that was a month, start, a month right? into my program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, you know, I, th I do think you are very ambitious. So, in that sense, I think your professor might be right. You might have needed a little bit more time to familiarize yourself with the literature. Because I would argue there are some people that actually do consider Indeed. culture in their papers and in their writing. But I think the main problem here is not that. I'm pretty sure if he would have very sat down with you and explained to you what you could have done better, etc., you would probably wouldn't have cared too much about it. No. getting a bad grade it's true right yeah so you know i think we we go back to that and I, i've noticed actually how different cultures give dif feedback differently i mean we i have there's this i'm not gonna uh, crap should i talk about someone that's one of my i'm not gonna talk about one of my teachers now back in the day in a fictional <laughs> scenario that does not describe at all my current program uh, there was a phd student who was from uh germany and when he gives feedback he's an amazing guy uh, i really like him he's he's a, almost a genius i would say You know, he's very well-versed in political science and, and how it's applied to higher education. And when he gives feedback, he's so direct that it's really hard for you to, to grab that feedback and it's build a, something from it's it. It's a very German thing. Yeah, and I, I don't think he, he, he means to be rude or anything. He's mm. just used to it. Feedback is this. This what I thought was wrong. This is how it needs to be done in order to be corrected. And, and that's it. In Norway, on the other hand... Uh, it's almost the opposite. It's almost too annoying. They, they do what I call the sandwich uh, feedback. Ah, the right? good news, bad news, good news approach. Yes, yes, hate yes, it. yes, I hate yes. It. It's like, wow, I really think your paper was great because you were referencing yeah. Encarta, which is a totally good yeah, source. To it's reference. so patronizing uh, because you you know you can discard the first thing and the last thing because they just made it up so they could tell you right? the middle thing. Yeah, I hate the right? sandwich. They just approach. look for something in the beginning, and that's how they do it in Norway. And but you know what? It works. If the people that you're giving feedback to actually trust you, it works. But when you're aware of that actual technique, then, then it kind of gets ruined, I think. It's an interesting point. And I know, okay, I must also admit, I'm not some amazing uh, deliverer of bad news or constructive feedback mm. either. I remember as a, an instructor at the university, I had a student come in to me. The, the only students that ever would come in to me to talk were always those students that were doing terribly. Mm. And usually students that, you know, wanted... Or the suck-ups like Annie in community. I never even got those. What? I never even got the suck-ups. I apparently am uh. not as good-looking as Enzo. I would get the people who only were coming in to would... tell me that their life would end if I did not reconsider their grade. We can and... agree on the first base. Anyway. Yes. So I had, uh, I had someone come in to me when I was uh, an instructor at the university who told me, I've done all of the homework, all of the readings, I come to all of the lectures, I've taken all of the notes, and I got a C- minus on this test. Tell me what I can do differently. Mm. And I said, there's probably nothing that you can do differently. What? Dude. <laughs> I know, it was Dude. terrible. It was terrible at the time. But in, in my defense, she was a terrible student and barely seemed to be able to, to put together a sentence. And I, still, I, I, I no, it was terrible. I honestly, I'm not defending myself. I will say it was bad, badly given criticism, and I uh, ask now forgiveness from my professor who also delivered news poorly to me. Um, and I understand why he did. And I reread the paper, and I can accept that although I still agree with the core argument, it's not terribly well written, and uh, it's very ambitious, as you say, to have been derating my entire discipline my first month into my PhD program. Well, you, could, you probably could have done it, but you would have to use a lot more than six, yeah. six pages. And, you know, it's really weird how, when you look at how doctor programs are, are organized. I mean, sometimes you get people, like, you know, I was talking to, to, to a doctoral candidate at the university, and he, they were like, so when did you learn how to grade? Who taught you how to grade, I asked them. And they were like, um, nah, nobody. I just kind of yeah. had to just, just go it with it. 
And, you know, I think that's in England, for example, most uh, doctoral candidates and most uh, actually most professors have to go through a separate track where they have to learn this type of skill. You know, because they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, wow. It's, I mean, not all universities do that. Uh, the one I was in did, and I was involved in 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 in, in that side of it, in, in preparing that program that would teach teachers how to teach, essentially, uh, or would teach researchers how to teach, which is usually the main the main issue. And I think that's quite important because you can't expect someone that has never done any teaching, whose main focus is research, to all of a sudden to be good at breaking bad news to a student. You know, and some cultures are good at it, and others are bad it's, at it. I, it's know? fascinating. So, you know. so I will tell you that from my program, it was actually looked down on to even be interested in how to teach. If you uh, if you took your time to want to take an extra class on teaching or something like that, that was that was seen as a signal that you're not serious. You're not a serious researcher. You're never uh, going to be useful for the discipline. And so, yeah, I, that was actually one of my significant problems with academia where I was, is that I'm really interested in teaching. And yeah, I, I, was much, I love teaching. Teaching's much less fun. interested in the research. Yeah, so yeah. Research brings money. Teaching brings students. What can I say? I'm just uh, going to have a little snack here, and you can talk about the snack that I'm having. A, a snack? Enzo, yeah. what, what, what snack are you having? Well, let's just say my wife, in her infinite wisdom... Actually signed up for the Reddit Snack Exchange. Snack Exchange. Yeah, if you if you know if you don't know Reddit, just don't try to get to know it. You don't need anything else to waste your time in your life. But essentially, uh, there's this really massive worldwide snack snack exchange. So my wife, what she did, uh, she got selected randomly for someone from another country. So she sends out uh, a package with Norwegian sweets and candy and whatever. Uh, and and on the other hand, she received a package full of Japanese sweets. So what what are you gonna have? Do you want this thing with the squiggles that go to the side I, and are I pointy, think, or this one with have, the round one? Well, this this green Kit Kat mm. sounds interesting. At yeah. least I'm gonna. I'm eating a yellow Kit Kat. See, let me see. No, but what mm. what flavor is it? Uh, let me see. There's a little line here that looks like a triangle. Another one that looks like one of the Space Invaders from Mine's, the game Space Invaders. This is a bit bitter. This Kit Kat is. Oh, uh, the green Kit Kat. This one's yeah. good. I, actually, this one you're supposed to put in the oven, but I'm eating it like this because you know it's a Kit Kat. Uh, I, my green Kit Kat is not good. I would I would label this you don't know, failed category. I actually like you it. like these ones. Yeah, that one's good. No, it's a bit mm. bitter and kind of dry oh. and just strange, waxy. I mean, I there's think, no chocolate in this. First of all, I don't recognize it as a Kit Kat in the slightest. Well, it's a green Kit Kat. This one's a yellow Kit Kat. There's these orange Kit Kats with a bunny on the outside and. Yeah, I have no idea what flavor they are. All right, so you've taken us here to our main topic, mm. which is uh, language barriers. Right? Yeah, so here we have this lovely snack exchange <clears throat> from someone who was kind enough to send uh, bagfuls of candy, and we cannot tell what in the world they're supposed to be flavored like. Mm. No idea. Like, no. I mean, you can taste it, you can kind of tell, but... You don't know. I, mean, yeah, I think I'll, this is cheesecake. Flavor. I'll, I'll put a picture Maybe. of this one up on on this podcast. But uh, yeah, I have no idea. No idea what these should should taste like. Language ends up being a very significant barrier when you're trying to get to know a new place and a new culture. And uh, Enzo, mm, how, tell how me, many, how many languages do you speak? I think that depends on your definition of speak. <laughs> speak. What are you, Bill Clinton? Well, no. I mean, <laughs> but, but I'm, psh, mm. I think in some, uh, I, I'm. There's some languages that I understand and I'm okay with, but I don't know if I can say that I actually speak them. I mean, some people say that until you can not have a fully fluent conversation with, like, several people at the same time, All right. you don't speak give me, it. Give me your minimum and your maximum. All minimum right. languages spoken. Minimum language spoken, Spanish, and that's it, 
Really? What? Oh, come on. Yeah. No, we're speaking English right now. Well, okay, I guess that's true. Yeah, okay, let's say Spanish and English. That would okay. be my minimum. Minimum. Okay? But I also can handle Italian and Portuguese. Italian, my Italian is quite good. I studied at uni, actually. Uh, Portuguese is okay, because I have Portuguese. Some, some bit of my family, though, that didn't help much. And, and I've been actually practicing quite a bit. Um, what else? Ah, when I was in Paraguay, I learned Guarani, mm-hmm. which is a very strange language. It's a language that's only... It's actually spoken by, like, almost the same amount of people that speak Norwegian, really. It's like, really? Four, there's almost, like, there's almost three... There's between three and four million speakers of it. So, you know, it's quite a big language, actually. Now, um, what else? Ah, speak Norwegian, of course. I'm getting quite bad, quite, yeah, quite yeah. good at it by now. I've been, been here been over for a year and a half. So you were yeah. my translator last night when we were ordering uh, Cokes. Yeah, that was super difficult. Yeah. <laughs> One <laughs> cola. I, I, I haven't oh. gotten that far even. So tell me about, uh, I, I assume, obviously Spanish was the first language you started with, but the first, yeah. first foreign language you learned was English. Yes? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I was exposed to Portuguese as well, but yeah, right, the well, first one I actually looked up to was English. Since most of our listeners are American and they don't care about your Portuguese. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> what do you mean most of our listeners are American? What's this? No, I, I refuse to believe that. We have listeners in all continents. Actually, please comment on our uh, on our post and tell us where you're from. We'd love to find out that you're not all in the United States. They're not. Please, please, don't do this to me. Okay. Come on, guys. So, but do talk to me about English. How did you learn English? Well, I think... Uh, my mom spoke English. Uh, she she's quite good at it actually. And when I, she was little, she actually started. She gave me like a like she would show me pictures and she would like talk to me. Oh yeah, this is a house in English. It's house and you know well well casa. You know this here's a picture of a casa in English. It's house. <laughs> yeah, got it. This got this got awkward because no, no. we're speaking in English. So and, you know, I think that was the beginning of it. She she kind of gave me the basics. You know, you have to invert the grammar and all that. And then after a while, I just kind of started kind of learning it by myself. I mean, uh, I want I like playing video games, and uh, a lot of the video games I played because they were pirated. They just came in English because there were not that many pirated sites with games in in Spanish. So I think that helped a lot. I think I learned that, that's some motivation right there. Right. You got to learn this language, or else you don't get free video games. Yeah, I, I think it, it was a mixture between uh, IT knowledge and language because I had to learn how to hack everything and I had to learn how to. You know, how to say sword and poison and everything. So, yeah, that helped. All right. So, video games, uh, what about television? Television. Yes. Well, actually, yes, that's true. Uh, there was a moment in our lives when we got cable, and that's where we started seeing things with subtitles. So, we'd see things in English, and we'd see things with subtitles in Spanish. And I remember very clearly, at one point, without me even noticing, I was like, well, that's not what she said. And, you know, no one had ever you, you didn't like You didn't like the translation. Yeah, the translation was wrong. Okay. I mean... They, they said something different, and I was like, wait, what? And and that's when I realized that I had actually learned a bit of English there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then just kind of carried on. So so what you're telling me is that by learning English, it actually opened some doors for you culturally, things that you could start to ex- experience and appreciate yeah. because you knew that language. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's lots of things I wouldn't have been able to appreciate at all if it wasn't because of English. I mean, it, it's a sad thing, but if you think about it, most of the information on the Internet right now is in English. So, you know, there's a whole series of books that I wouldn't have been able to read, for example. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's incredible the, the amount of people I wouldn't have met if I didn't speak the language, you know. Uh, just when I look back to all the jobs I've had since I've been in Europe, I think every single one of them has required that I speak at least English. So tell know? me, when, when did you first start using English on a regular basis? Where did you live? When were you using English, you know, outside of uh, Uruguay? 
outside Uruguay. Well, I used to quite a bit in Paraguay, but I think the most was in, in the Canary Islands, actually. I mean, because uh, my boss was from the US and he spoke English. So he spoke Spanish perfectly, but we had a lot of teachers uh, of English that didn't speak any other language than English which is quite bad, I must say. Some of them have, uh, have learned Spanish by now. Uh, but, but a lot of them would be quite new to the country and they would just speak English. And, you know, I just kind of used it. We, it, was, it was a bit of a mix of everything. Really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, you, you moved to the UK, right? Uh, yes, right after that. Uh, I was about, what, four years in the UK, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that was weird because I was very used to hearing American English. Okay. That was like what I was used to. So when I exposed, got exposed to, you know... English, English, I guess. Uh, it was. It took a while for me to get used to. I mean, I remember in 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 Spain there was a lot. Of, uh, I would, people thought I was from the states because you know I spoke with a sort of an American accent. My boss was from the US, you know, so they they just assumed that I was from the states. Uh, but yeah, when I got to England, they, I got teased a lot about that because. Yeah, so I m- I must say when I speak with you, I do not think you sound like an American. Yeah, of course not. So at, at what point did you go from uh, having more American-sounding English to now sounding, I think, a bit British? Well, when I was in England, I, now I'm, I'm, my aim well, my aim right now is to have more of a neutral type English, something that doesn't put off people depending on who they're politically disagree with, you know. Mm. But when I was in England, actually, pe- lots of people got a bit confused when I spoke with, with what they considered to be an American accent. Now, an American wouldn't think it was an American accent because they would be used to it, okay? Uh... So so lots of people were like, wait, what? why do you say that? You know, so when I would say things like, you know, pants instead of trousers, you know. <laughs> that can be or confusing. Lo- truck instead of lorry, you know, things like that. They would just get confused. So I made like a conscious effort initially, but then it just kind of happened. But you, you picked up all of this American English from television, from... from mostly, yes, like mostly, yes. Uh, uh, and, you know, you just pick it up. But how do you think the people treated you there when they thought you sounded kind of American-ish? Well, I th- I think they were a bit more dismissive of what I said when I spoke with an American accent. I mean, I don't I don't think it was because they because they had any animosity towards the United States. I think it was more because they thought it sounded weird, you know. So they expected someone to speak more with a language they could understand. And also, there's some words that mean very different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pants, <laughs> pants will get you to, uh, to, that, that, to that, a totally different conversation. That got awkward, that got awkward, yeah. So, you know, yeah, I think there was, a, there was a big difference. But the funny thing is that now here in Norway, lots of Norwegians think that I'm from England, which I'm not. No English person thinks I'm from England when they hear me speak, but lots of Norwegians do, so that's a bit weird. Yeah. 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 Okay, but uh, you uh, you're married to a Norwegian. Yes, I am actually. And uh, you married her long before you learned any Norwegian. Um. Yes. Yeah? Yes. yes, did, yes. You, did she know any Spanish? No. 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 We only communicated in English. You, uh, so the two of you again overcame a cultural barrier by knowing this uh, second language that you shared. I'm that attractive. You, know? uh, you are really, know. really good looking. <laughs> Tell me, tell me about, uh, tell me yeah, about it, how that worked. How in the world do you go about uh, marrying somebody in a language that is not your native language? Well, that's you see, I think that for the one thing that's a very big advantage is that it makes it very easy for our in-laws to get along because they can't really understand each other that well. So you know, there's really no disagreement among them. It's more like yes, yes, no, no, what, yeah, it's great, yeah, I love it. So it's a very big advantage. Um, it's it's kind of strange because when you learn a different language, you don't really Part of you is not you, 
right? When you speak in Sp- when you speak in Spanish, Mike, you, 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 do you I, feel that you're, yeah, I'm totally you're exactly I, the same? I have a different sense of humor. Right. I, uh, I'm, I talk about different subjects. I am a very different person when I speak Spanish, and I recognize that. I kind of like it. It's interesting to slip into that other personality. Yeah. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not the same guy. I can't make the same jokes. I can't talk about the same subjects. I don't have all of the vocabulary. Yeah, yeah I'm, I, I do feel that. But at the same time, that... that That's still me, you know. And and but yeah, but I think it, it works. Uh, it's it's not complicated with our son, of course, because you know. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. So uh, you have uh, Lucas, who uh, you are raising to speak, as far as I can tell, every language on the planet. How many languages are you speaking to this poor only child? Three, only, three, only three. Only three. How old uh, is Lucas? Well, he's. Th- Three, so he's you know, three, that helps. language per helps year. Remember, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe next year we'll start with Italian or something. So I do oh. my best every time I see Lucas to confuse him by being this uh, Norwegianish-looking person who normally speaks English to everybody else, but I speak to him in Spanish, and I can always see him thinking, "Which should I respond?" <laughs> so if my kid gets broken, I can blame you for yeah. it, essentially. Yeah, no, I mean we're we're trying. I'm trying our best to speak to him in Spanish, but sometimes I need him to understand. I need him. Pick that up, or I need him to stop doing that. So then I will have to talk to him in Norwegian. But for the most part, I try to speak to him in Spanish. And he replies in Norwegian mostly to me, unless it's si, no, and asha, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, but your wife, does she speak to him mostly in Norwegian? She speaks only in Norwegian. Only Norwegian. only Norwegian. So you yeah. you try to speak Spanish, she tries to speak Norwegian, yeah. and yet the kid seems to speak English most of the time. Well, but you see, there's two things that I can vouch for. That. And he does speak quite a lot of English, which actually some... It surprises me quite a bit. Uh, I think one of it is because I speak to Eva in English. I speak to my wife in English most of the time. She speaks to me in English most of the time. We still haven't managed to do that shift where I speak in origin or she speaks Spanish. Mostly because we get bored. There's not that much to talk about when our vocabulary is limited. Um, but but he, he picks up on a lot of those things. So now he knows that shower means going to take a bath. So he knows that he... He has to avoid that, you know, mm-hmm. so we can't use English as our code language anymore with him. <laughs> and also, he watches uh, cartoons in English, so right. that really makes it's him... It's that cultural yeah. hegemony of the United States. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Just, I was so fortunate to be born into that, because I don't I don't have to learn it as a second language. I like it. Yeah, that's that nice. helps. Well, that does, does help you. At the moment. <laughs> at the moment. I know when we get to the uh, Serenity but, universe, and I will not have any Chinese. No, but I'm just wondering, don't you feel like a little bit limited in that sense? Because uh, you, you, because you don't have an incentive to learn another language. <sighs> Uh, no, I will say here in Norway, affects you a little. in particular here in Norway, that has been challenging. So when I when I lived in Chile, of course, it, most people did not speak English, and I learned Spanish, I think, fairly quickly. I felt yeah. within uh, three or four months in the country, I was feeling really confident anyway. Mm. Um, here in Norway, I've been here eight or nine months now, and like I said, you ordered my Coke last night, right? So the difference being that uh, in Chile, they, they weren't pushing English like they do in Norway. In Norway, nearly everyone speaks English. Yes, yes. And is so true. it is really challenging. I mean, my workplace, I work uh, with the Norwegian government, and it's all in English. I mean, yeah. no, nobody's speaking Norwegian except for in kind of side conversations here and there. Um, so it is. It is actually, uh, I think, a disadvantage at times because there isn't... Not only is there not an incentive to learn the other language, but it's almost like there's not the opportunity at times. Mm. I mean, nobody nobody wants to try Norwegian with me. Yeah, I mean, right? I, they they get frustrated. They just want to speak English. It's shut up and let's speak English. I mean, which I find that very interesting because actually the U.S. has no official language, and it's for true. a very long time they were speaking German in large yeah. portions of the United yeah. States or I mean, French in large or portions. French. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and it's like how come a whole country that's you know actually aiming to have a big influence around world politics does not have have more of an emphasis on language and it's the same problem in the UK I mean that's not exclusive for the US I think most Anglo-speaking language uh, countries have problems because 
at the same time, studying language is very demanding. It takes a lot of time. And, you know, if you put a lot of effort into just learning languages, you might not end up, it might not end up having yeah. a big impact in your career. Well, and you, you may pick the wrong one, right? Learning another language is, is a big endeavor. And if you put all of your focus onto a language that ends up not being that useful, then it's mm. it's a lot of wasted hours, right? Yeah, I, mean, for, I wouldn't call it wasted. Well, I not, mean, not wasted, but only not... Only in the economical sense, Yeah, I guess. but I guess, okay, so I'm... I'm uh, extrapolating a theory here as we speak, but I'm thinking that there's there's uh, a big reason why English is doing so well worldwide, which mm. I think demonstrably it is. It's, it's a language uh. that has been adopted by many countries, by many businesses. I think it has a lot to do with this kind of cultural outreach. I think mm. it's the internet. I think uh. it's television. I think that that's why it's done so well. China is trying very hard to, to gain influence all over uh, the world. I, and Chinese is not getting a foothold. I mean, I go to Africa, and in Africa, you know, where I'm working... Oftentimes, China is there building roads, they're building schools, they're building businesses, they're donating medicines, they're doing all of this stuff, and it's not appreciated or understood or accepted the same way that all of the American influence is. Now, I, mean, I think part of the problem is that because China has a very uh, very structured type of government, you know, one-party state, etc., they also have a very structured approach to how they manage their export of culture. And there's some really good filmmakers, for example, in China that are doing independent films, like doing really good stuff, but uh, the government does not really want to push that. They want yeah. to push the kind of thing... Uh, same with like literature, same with other things. They want to push the kind of thing that they think is appropriate to that, to represent, to represent them. Yeah. I think the United States for a very long time has a very different approach. It had lots of wealthy people trying to push uh, entertainment as a business. Yeah. They had the incentive that they wanted to become filthy rich yeah, yeah. and screw everyone else over. But in the process of well. doing that, they made some pretty cool films. <laughs> so, you know, I think I think the biggest tool for, for perpetuating uh, U.S. culture is probably uh, Hollywood films. I mean, I can't, you, I can't think of a single person out there that has not seen, you know, or has not heard of Transformers or something. So th you know? this takes me, us back to my very valuable political science education where we talk about soft power. Mm. And uh, Joseph Nye has this whole concept that, you know, there's hard power, of course, all the traditional yeah. kind of power that a country has. But soft power is, is very important as well. Mm. And I, I argue that oftentimes we ignore that to our peril. We let, as, as you say, in the U.S., it kind of just seeps out. You know, whatever mm. crazy thing gets out there. Which sometimes makes us look good, and sometimes makes us look terrible. But um, the, but that's fine, and that's part of the reason why it works. If you, that is part if, of the reason if why you it were works. to only yeah. uh, push for the things that make you look good, no, it would take you seriously. You know, if I were to talk to people and only tell them all the good things about me, they probably think I'm an idiot, yeah. right? And I think that's kind of what's happening to China. I'm not calling China an idiot. Please, do not think that's not what I said. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but I'm you here first. Uh, Enzo <laughs> hates the Chinese. I do not. I do not. What I'm saying is that the Chinese government needs to be a little bit more flexible in the cultural uh, offer they're trying right. to push out. All future visas to China have been denied. For already. I'm on a list already. <laughs> yeah, uh, on list. That's okay. All right. So let's. I, I guess we'll wrap up this section on language. There's there's a lot more that we could say about it, but I guess just... We're probably going to talk about it many times I, more. I'm sure we will. I, yeah. I just leave it as a parting thought that, you know, language is, uh, is something that in the... It separates and unites, right? It's yeah. something that brings people together and keeps people apart. And uh, I think it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating aspect of humanity that there are so many different languages, but also more people now speak multiple languages than yeah. perhaps ever. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that it is breaking down barriers. Very interesting. Yeah. So if you haven't thought about learning a language or if you haven't made an effort to learn a language, you should start thinking about it, honestly. Uh, 
just start by the one that you're interested in the most. Don't think about how much money you're going to make off it. Think how many, how, who do I want to talk to and who do I want to understand and go from there. Yeah. yeah. And there's lots of course free software and programs at this point that are yeah. aimed at helping people. Or just download Skyrim and start playing it in German. There you go. That's probably uh, a better way to motivate yourself. Yeah. Not All Final right. Fantasy. That's just complicated. All right. So we'll move on to the middle portion of our, our podcast where we like to talk about uh, a, a cultural aspect from a place that you often don't hear about. Ah, that is true. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so, yes, yes. so I came up with something to discuss a bit uh, today, which was uh, a, a meal that I am very used to, or at least a part of a meal that I get all over in, in Africa. And I'd never heard of before I went there. Um, it's made from cassava. Do you know uh, Enzo cassava? Um, is, it, is this, is this I a know, thing in Uruguay? Well, in Uruguay, we I had, I had never seen it, but in Paraguay, actually, they eat a lot of cassava. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call it mandioca. Yeah, mandioca. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's yeah, they eat it a lot. They eat it mostly boiled as a side dish. So as you would have potatoes here, yeah, they have mandioca or so a, cassava. Or have it's it's bread. A, it's a tuber, right? It's a bit like a potato. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like a very long. Tubercule, and the plant kind of looks like marijuana, but it's not. Uh, and it's it's white and kind of waxy in texture when it's boiled. Okay. Yeah. So this, uh, from my reading up on this, is the third largest crop in tropical places after uh, rice and maize or corn. Yeah, it grows very easily. Yeah, it grows very yeah. easily. And, and for that reason, uh, is widely eaten across sub-Saharan Africa. And I first was introduced to it in uh, East Africa as uh, ugali. And what they would do is they would mash it up to where it becomes this thick uh, paste. It's even thicker than a paste. It holds its form almost like a, a jello or something. But is, it, is it like mashed potatoes kind it, of? Imagine a mashed potatoes, but it's like a paste. Like it's, uh-huh. it's really thick. And what you would but, do with it, you would okay, get... But, but do they grind it when it's uh, before cooking it or after? Uh, ooh, well now you're getting into details of how they make it, and I never know. I just get served it. I, <laughs> I have no idea. You need to ask these things. Yeah, well, it comes out to me. It, with every meal that I order there, I get a side of ugali, and it comes out on a plate... And it's, you know, it's kind of like it was formed in a bowl and then put upside down on the plate. So it's, right. made, it's retained the shape of the bowl. And it, it essentially is the utensil. It's, it's what you're using to eat with. You pick a big goop of it up, and then you use it to eat all of these other items that are on your plate. All right. And you just go back to so it, it, and it's, it's, it's... Is it not sticky? Then? It is a bit sticky. So your, oh, hand, okay, your hands enough. are... So this is why you wash your hands before you eat and after you eat. All right. And, and right. So your hands do get, like... Your hands get dirty, dirty oh. but you just you just go with it. You don't stop to ever clean your hands during the meal because they're just sticky and nasty, and you... Okay, fair you, enough. You eat with this. And uh, I found uh, the same dish um, in, uh, in West Africa, known as... Is uh, fufu and it's I, fufu fufu yeah huh. fufu ugali they were in my opinion the same thing I'm okay. sure we have uh, some experts out there that will tell me someone's gonna tell you off they're different somehow but it was interesting to me because it is totally and absolutely tasteless and uh, not that great but it is a, a necessary staple for nearly every meal that I come across in some of these countries which. To the extent that I'm sitting there thinking, oh boy, you know, here we are in kind of a place where there's not a lot to eat. They're kind of stuck with this as an option. I, I understand they have to eat it because it's very filling. And so, fine, you know, it's it's something they do because they have to. Mm-hmm. Yet, more than once now, I've been in a scenario where, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching an all-day course or something. Yeah. And so we're providing lunch. And, and you don't have that. Do and, we, and we didn't order fufu. And people are like, where's the fufu? Of course. Yeah. So, like, one, I remember specifically one day in Ghana, we ordered uh, a bunch of uh, pizza 
for people. There was a pizza restaurant. We thought, yeah. oh, this is going to be great. So we got, you know, 10 pizzas or something to share between everybody. And we had lots of people that were like, what? Where, where's the... Where's, where's the foo-foo? Yeah, where's the foo-foo? Okay. Like, they, they couldn't go through a meal without eating this. Uh-huh. And for me, I'm thinking it's like this drudgery. Like, you eat it so you don't die, basically. Like, it's this thing that fills your stomach up and it keeps you from feeling hungry the rest of the day. But for them, that's not how it is at all. Hmm. Which takes me to kind of a, a topic, I mean, we don't need to spend a ton of time on this, but just the thought that, you know, taste in food is actually something that you think is, you think there's some absolute truth to it. Like, this oh, thing tastes no. good and this thing does not. That's hmm. totally not the case. I remember when I was in Zambia, I was talking with one of the... the well, I can tell you one thing. The, the macaroni and cheese from the States uh, is bad. Uh, I can see, tell you that much from now. But yes, this was part of your uh, previous snack exchange, right? Yes, you it was. You got stuck with some, uh, <laughs> some macaroni and cheese. So and last time we got an exchange with our macaroni and cheese, and we gave most of it yeah, to Mike. to my benefit. Horrible. Yeah, to my was, benefit. We ended up with three or four boxes of it. They don't sell it here in Norway, and my kids, of course, like every American child, loves uh, macaroni and cheese. Yeah, it's it's not horrible. It it's, is horrible. No, yeah, it's, it's comforting. It's so good, it's yeah. so I thought, so macaroni and cheese could kind of be like the food of the U.S. maybe. Well, yeah, exactly. It's exactly it can. So so when I was in Zambia, I was working with this woman who had a son that was the same age as mine. They were both three years old at the time, and my son, the staple for his meals was chocolate milk. Uh-huh. He, he drank chocolate milk like. Six times a day. In awesome. fact, he, he still does. That's like the thing uh, that keeps him do. alive, right? Chocolate milk. It ma- makes sense. Her son, his favorite meal, dried fish. Dried fish. And dried fish, the way they serve it in Zambia is a whole dried fish. Crackly skin, spines, mm-hmm. open mouth. I mean, just that's how they eat it. And yeah. this was her son's favorite thing. My, I, I, don't, I don't even want to eat that. My son, my three-year-old, wouldn't go near with a 10-foot pole. Well, I'm going to show you something I have right here. Wait, actually. What do you I'm got, Enzo? This was not this was not planned. This is what my son ate right before. I asked him, "What do you want to eat?" My my, my wife is away, so I told him, "You can eat anything you want." Right? We have plenty <laughs> of stuff in the house to eat. So, what does he tell me he wants to eat? He wants to eat mackerel with tomato. Mackerel with tomato. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking. I'm looking at it right, right now. It's uh, it, how appetizing. That, that I wouldn't eat that. Right? No. So that's what my son wanted the to eat. The mackerel comes in a tin, right? Yes, it's it like comes a, in a tin as you would have like a tin of sardines yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And it's uh, in a tomato sauce and you put it on top of bread and that's why. Because that's what he eats in the in huh. the in the, in his daycare. And he loves it. He loves mackerel and tomato. So when I offered him anything he wanted to eat, he didn't want ice cream. He didn't. He wanted mackerel and tomato. Fascinating. So, you know. So culturally then, what I would, uh, I, I don't know, there's a million things we could say about this. I'm sure food will become a topic for us at, at later dates as well. The, my parting thought on this one is just the fact that your taste is determined by what you grew up with. Yeah, I think that's... To a large extent. I think that's heavily influenced by it. Heavily I mean, influenced. There's lots of things that I didn't like when I was little that I like now that I've grown to sure. used to. And there's lots of things that I had never tried before that I... Like one example is I hear something, they do they do something called tutibar, which is essentially a type of jam that they put on pork, right? And to me, the whole concept of mixing sweet and sour is ridiculous. I cannot have that, you know? And I, it, it takes me a very long time to get used to that. But once I get used to it, once I acquire that taste kind of, then I like it. Yeah, I, And I, now I like it, but the first time I tried it, I could not believe people well, were doing that. I, I uh, enjoy, at this point, I enjoy fufu in Ugali. I can enjoy it. It's fine. Right. It's, but it's, it's, just, it's just to say that, you know, in your mind when you think, oh my goodness, we have it so good because we have macaroni and cheese and the rest of this heathen planet is missing out on macaroni and cheese. 
it's so culturally uh, determined. I mean, there is, there's no absolute truth to but, taste. But I think one thing that's important that we remember when we're doing this podcast or when we do anything that has to do with culture is that we can only look at culture from our own eyes and it's our true. own perspective. I mean, no one no one can ever claim that they're looking at it, you know, in a sterile environment. We have our own preconceptions. We have what we think is right, mm-hmm. even though what we think is right will not be right for someone else. So if someone else, their fufu is their determined thing that they want to eat, and that's just how it is, you know. And we have to think about that. It's very important not to not to go on to to these kind of situations in a in a cultural high horse. You know, we've come here to bring you what's good for you, right? Uh, it's important to go into things with I'm like sure an we, open mind. I'm sure you know? we have a Japanese listener right now that is laughing at how I didn't like their uh, green Kit Kat. I thought it was okay, actually. Yeah. I, there's like a there's like a leaf in there. What? Chalky. I don't, no. I, I'm guessing this is green tea flavored. Could be. I love it. I liked it. All right. Yeah. So that takes us then to our uh, our last segment of, of the podcast, where we like to talk about uh, cultural screw ups. Yes. Let's talk about that. Let's do it. Uh, I'm remembering actually thinking, looking back when I was a teenager, and I. One thing I did, uh, don't laugh, is that I collected coins. There was a bunch of coins Nerd. around, and I just kind of gathered them together because I like coins. Who doesn't like coins? Coins are cool. Now, and I was really excited at one point because there was this uh, this coin that had. Let me think about the what year it was. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I found a coin that had the year one thousand three hundred twenty something. That is an old coin. I was like, what? One thousand three hundred twenty. What is it? One thousand three hundred. I was so happy. Okay, so I found the. A coin from the year 1220, and that was very hard to me. I mean, all my coins were like from like 1910 onwards, right? <laughs> so I found out that one that was like, you know, 600 years old. Yeah, you hit the jackpot. I was really excited. But then it turns out that that coin was from Iran, I think. And that coin was from like a few years ago. Because it turns out that in Iran, they used a different calendar. Uh-huh. Did you know that? Uh, I, I, are you I, aware of that? I'm not, I'm not aware of Iran's calendar. I'm aware of that there are many different calendars. I know Ethiopia, for example, has a different calendar. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the, the calendar that we use right now is, is commonly referred to as the Gregorian calendar. Gregorian calendar. Gregorian yes, calendar. the Pope Gregory came up yeah, with it. Yeah. yeah. But lots of countries are using very different calendars. For example, today, just around the corner, the Nepalese uh, are celebrating their uh, New Year's. So now, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, yeah. listeners. We're in the year 2072. Uh, half, 2072? 2072. I have to say future. the future looks a bit underwhelming yeah, right now. It's the same. Yeah, the hoverboard's still not there. So, you know... So, so there, there are real consequences oh. to the fact that there, there are different calendars being in use around the world. And this is not uh, – I know there are probably some listeners right now that are thinking, but these calendars are like a relic of the past. They actually all focus on the real calendar, right? The I one can, that works. I, yeah, I can sense uh, you thinking that. But uh. let me assure you, that is not the case. There are many countries where their calendar is the calendar that is predominant and that is in use. Yeah. For example, I work quite a bit now in the Middle East, in Palestine. There is an Islamic calendar, which is a lunar calendar. It's very different than the Gregorian calendar. And this has an impact on my work because I have to always constantly try to figure out when, when I'm traveling Eve, there. When yeah, is when is Eve, when's Ramadan? What yeah. holidays are coming up? Am yeah. I going to be there at the appropriate time? What not? And it's Never the same based on the Gregorian calendar. I can't say it's going to be February 17th because it's not. It's going to be different every year. They have a different cycle. Yep, exactly. And, you know, you have, you, you, you have well, let's go back to the taste and uh, our own perspective, right? I mean, most of these calendars, are, our, our Gregorian calendar starts in the year zero, uh, thinking about the birth of Christ. That's what marks that. And it was started by a pope. So, you know, he was kind of biased in choosing that date, I would say. 
Um, but, you know, lots of people in this world do not believe in Christ, do not even think about Christ at all. So why would they determine their whole system of counting the days by someone that doesn't that they don't think affects them? Well, let's right? let's uh, let's read out a few of the years from some of these calendars. We pulled up a list. There's as as everything wonderful is in Wikipedia. We pulled up a list. Two thousand fifteen. Yeah, just don't quote incredible. it on your papers. No, but quote the sources at the bottom. Yes, that's the secret. That's the trick. Okay, so two thousand fifteen and other calendars. Let's just read out a few of these. Um, the Buddhist calendar. Right now, the year is twenty five fifty nine. All right, in the Armenian calendar, we're in the year fourteen sixty four. Okay, uh, Chinese calendar forty seven eleven. Or forty six fifty one. But why is it or? Who I have knows? no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> See, this was an interesting one. The Ethiopian calendar is two thousand and seven and between two thousand and seven and two thousand eight. It's probably because the year is just you know. Yeah, they're just a little bit behind. In between, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they'll probably uh, yeah they'll catch up to us eventually. Hmm. What's interesting there is that I'm seeing that they list the Coptic calendar as being seventeen thirty one to seventeen thirty two. But I know that there's a large Coptic communi- uh, Christian community in Ethiopia. I wonder if they have. Both of those calendars being used in Ethiopia. Who knows? Who, knows? Who would know? There's an interesting one. There's, this one's called the British Renal Calendar, which says it's the year 64 since the reign of Elizabeth II. There we go. There we go. Right? The Hebrew calendar, it's the year 5775. Yeah, so that's, you know, we are at the same time in the future and in the past, depending on how you think about it. And uh, the, the, I think an interesting one is the UK calendar from North Korea. It's the year 104 since, of course. Of course. Everything started. And so, things, sadly, kind of seem like the year 104 in North Korea. Apologies to any North Korean listeners. Yeah, there's probably one, at least. <laughs> there might be. Or Dennis Rodman. So, yeah, so that's... And I was thinking about that today because of because it was the celebration of the, of the, of the Nepalese New Year. And also, it reminded me of my sad encounter with a coin that thought was worth millions... <laughs> And was actually I can imagine like a sad a little dollar. Enzo in, oh, so sad. Uh, in, in Uruguay oh. walking around with his coin thinking... So if you have a son a or a daughter that collects coins, be sure to warn them because this is bound to lead... Pick up one from Korea where the year is currently 43-48 and they will be so... You could tell them you're a time yeah, travel, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure you can work something out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I sense a Calvin and Hobbes uh, <laughs> strip in the making. So with that, uh, I think we will wrap up this uh, this week's episode. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. And, thank you very uh, much. Yeah, we will uh, again try to be doing these on a weekly basis. And uh, as we fade out here, I wanted to make sure to uh, thank our uh, our friend Ben Shepard, who provides our intro and outro music. Uh, he provides music for uh, videos, films, uh, advertisements, available at theblackcurrent.net. That's uh, the black c u r r a n t dot net, where you can find more of his music. Do you even like black currants? Uh, I don't. What is a black currant? You know what black currant like is? Some kind of berry. Well, they, they eat it a lot in Norway. It's called sulvar. It's like this kind of you know. It's a berry. So it's this the black, but it's the like that black pasty they put on the side of some meat dishes. No, no, no that's titivar. Oh, there's lots of berries. The there's lots there's, of berries. There's here, another right? one. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll give you some soup. All right. Maybe I, Ben might be a big fan of the black. He's probably not going to like it. I don't know. You know. But anyway. All right. Thanks again. And uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah. If you have any comments, remember to put them down there and let us know. Thank you.